you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another not made by man. 
Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. 
The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from this cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for, for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, 
took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It's Good Friday. I want to talk about death. I want to talk about the good news about Jesus' death. What makes Good Friday so good? Uh, the good news about Jesus' death uh, has lots and lots of implications. Um, the, the truth of it is, he sets us free through this death. The truth of it is, his death makes us whole and it heals us. The truth of this death is that it's, it's for us and no one has ever claimed to even do what Jesus does on this day that we celebrate. No one has ever actually done for you, for the world, what Jesus did on this day. What happens to Jesus that night is nothing short of evil. It's betrayal, it's condemnation, it's abandonment, it's powers conspiring to gain more power at the expense of his own body and blood and life. It, it's the cold-hearted disposal of life, how, how flippantly he can just be thrown to the side. He's abused. He's forgotten. As you hear that scripture read, the story, it feels like it just goes on and on. The amount of, of evil he's experienced. But the good news about Jesus' death is he identifies himself with the shame of evil. Now, that might sound weird, the shame of evil. Kendrick Lamar says, calls this the everyday realities of the world. The shame of evil are, are the wounds deep within you that have been done by others. The, the, the scars and the, and the torn tissue that's deep within your souls that others have inflicted on you. The shame of being left, the shame of being forgotten, the shame of being condemned and judged by others, the shame of being let go, neglected, betrayed, hated. The dark truth about all of this, all of this shame, all of these acts done against you, is they never just roll off your back. You never just get over these things. In fact, even with the best counselors and the best help, the best care, it never just goes away. You have been infected by them. These acts break you. The weight of it, the stain of it, it overwhelms you. But Jesus, on this Good Friday, walked a path for your healing. Jesus identifies with your shame. He takes all of it. He carries all of it to the cross while being spit on, while being despised, while being betrayed, while being abused. And it's 
all this incredible identification with the shame that all of us carry that could somehow be made new and in it there's healing what happened to jesus on that night though is also not just about evil but it's also about sin the good news about jesus's death is it embodies your guilt See, sin is not just something we trip and fall over. It's not some little mistake or communication error, but it's an active abuse of who we were created to be. In the beginning, we were made to be the image of God and to reflect all of his character, his justice, his mercy, his compassion, his never failing love. We were created to embody that, but we don't. So Jesus embodies our guilt. Well, we can point to a long line of offenses done against us. There's a large pile of shame that we carry, but, but next to that pile of shame is an equal or even greater chasm of guilt. So the other, the sad truth is, is that being wounded by this world, we join it. Being overcome with sin done to us, we sin with the best of them. Sin doesn't simply exist out there somewhere. Being done to us, it exists within. We're familiar with the internal rage when we don't get what we want. We're familiar with the manipulation, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, the neglecting of others, the forgetting, the cold-hearted putting off of other people and relationships, the whole thing. Even to the ones that we love, we do it. How will I pay for the wrong? How will I overcome it? How will I strategize my way out of it? How will I make it right? How will I make those people okay with me? How will I repair this? Sin creates this gulf between us and everyone else from the creator of the universe to our spouse sleeping next to us. This is the guilt of sin. But Jesus on this good Friday, he walked a path for your freedom by taking all of the guilt and all of the sin onto himself. He doesn't shriek it on anyone else. He doesn't claim it to be for someone else. He actually takes the guilt that, that you carry and he carries it all the way to the cross. It was the breath that he breathed out. It was the body that he was giving up. He embodied and he took on all sin and guilt. How will you pay? Jesus will pay. How will you be made right? Through the body and the blood and the death of Jesus. The good news about Jesus' death is that you are free from the guilt of sin because the guiltless one has died for you. But there's also, on this day, what happened is about death itself. The good news of Good Friday is Jesus died for you. In the Bible, death exists because sin and evil exists. Death 
is the definition of the fallen life. Death is life as it was unintended. Death is the distance between what we were created to be in the garden, the thriving of garden, and then the reality of humanity today. Death replaces life as the human existence. To the point that we could say, death, that's just part of what it means to be human. When really we were created for life. And this reality of death fogs every funeral. Despite all of the good things that we can say about the person we're bearing, the sting of death pronounces a perversion of human life. It was never supposed to be this way. Death is the culmination of all sin and shame and evil and guilt. See, this program of sin always culminates in death. Death is the reward, it's the payoff, it's what you get in return. And first, you probably notice this sort of death in others around you. They're living such a meek existence. What are they doing? What a wasted life. But then later you recognize it in yourself. None of this is satisfying. All of this leaves me empty. Tomorrow I'll stop. But haven't I said that before? Death comes long before the grave. But eventually you stand there at the grave. Or maybe you lie in it. Sin's final conquest is life itself. All of this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, the wages of sin is death. The opening chapters of Genesis craft this reality so well. First, there's the death of relationships with God. Then between Adam and Eve. Then between them and their siblings. And then a wandering, murderous, whole mess that just overcomes everyone. Often lost in the lines of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is the body count. The sheer numbers of lives not completed. Lives not lived as they were intended. The numbers are staggering. But let's also not be naive. Death happens long before our hearts stop beating. It's just that when we become a corpse, it becomes really obvious. But there is no life, no real human life, apart from a forgiveness, a redemption, a healing, a salvation that can bring us into the presence of God as holy, right humans created like we were in the very first to know God and to live in the joy of his presence. That's what's at stake with death. Jesus' claim at the very beginning of Mark was that his presence meant the kingdom of God was coming. And that his kingdom would face death and he would face it to the full. 
And that's what happens on Good Friday. That's what Jesus has done in all of the torture and all of the death that he experiences. He came to die to put an end to all of this. With these words, your life is forever changed. He breathed his last. Because see, with those words, it means that death is not victorious at all. It means that someone has died for you. It means someone has come to heal you and to take what was for you, but to take it on themselves. The good news of Good Friday is that you don't deserve death anymore because the Savior died for you. That you don't need death because his love has overcome it through his dying. Did you notice in the end the finality of the scriptures? Oh, when Jesus' body is carried away in cloth to a borrowed tomb. That is how complete the wages of death are. That's how complete the purchase and the payment that is required. All along the equation is, well, we've sinned and, we've, and evil has been done against us, so we must die and be removed from God. But in this story, what we see is that Jesus has died for us. The payment is complete. Not only do we walk in healing from the shame of evil, not only do we walk in freedom from the guilt of sin, but we also walk towards life, knowing that death has been swallowed by our Savior. And all of this was God's will. It's what Jesus prays in the garden. If this is your will, I will do it. This is his desire, his passion, his purpose. This is his plan. This is what God has always wanted to do. What a remarkable creator of the heavens and the earth that he would fix himself on the redemption and the saving of you. That he would put his entire love and fix it on you and me and humanity. No one has ever done anything like this for you. No one has ever wanted to do anything like this for you, much less for the entire world, and that's what Jesus has done. This wasn't a martyr's death. This wasn't a rescuer's death. This was a death by love for the whole world. This was a good Friday, a good day. It's the day shame died. It's the day sin was dealt with. It's the day death was buried in the grave. It's a day for us of deep gratitude. It's a day, a day of sincere joy. It's also a day of response. It's a day of belief. It's a day to accept the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. It's a day to take that time to sit in some place 
and to cry out to the Savior of the world, Jesus, save me too. Take my sin, take my guilt, take the evil, take the shame, take my death. This is a day to receive the love of God. Let's pray. Jesus, fill us with gratitude. Fill us with joy. Fill us with belief and acceptance. God, I pray that we would be a people, family, a community that receives this love and is known by this love. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.